Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Tanner Jones. We're going to talk about buying and selling in bulk, buying collections, buying accumulations, buying lots. And uh, that's fun. It's not for everybody. You probably need to have some experience, probably on the selling side and the buying side, because it isn't buying it right if you can't sell it right eventually. On the other hand, if you're buying a large lot of things and there's a few items in there that you really want, then you just suffer the fact there's some cards in there you don't want and they're not of... uh, great importance to you. But thanks to card company sponsors for making the cards that we chase. Top Spinini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Creating, Beckett Authentication. This would be like uh, a port sale at uh, ComC. This would be like going to a card show and buying the whole box, whether it's on the table or under the table. And I've done that. I'm actually way better at buying than I am at selling. But Tanner, welcome to the show. What's your experience? Because I, I remember from talking to you that you had at one time accumulated a lot of cards and it sure wasn't by buying them one at a time and then lowered your inventory and it. That wasn't one at a time either. So welcome and let's hear your take on this. So there are two things in this hobby that I'm extremely excited about. So number one is finding a card that I've been looking for forever. But the other thing is the treasure hunt of buying a huge collection. I have so many stories about collections I've bought and sold in the past, and uh, I call it cardboard alchemy. When you can buy a collection, let's say you spend $1,000 on a massive collection, go through them, sell them, and keep some cards after you make profit that you really want to keep. To me, that's like my box buying, I guess. There's people that love busting boxes and packs and cases that's not for me, really. I don't really do that. It's the actual collections themselves. It's so fun. It's a form of you're going to buy something. You're buying a box. You can peek at it. You can't go through it exhaustively. Usually you don't have time. You may have bought it at an auction or a show. So you didn't get an inventory list. You just looked at it and said, okay, I, I think I'm interested. I'll buy the whole box. What's the price? If And then you figure out, is there real good stuff in there? Pretty good stuff? Not so good? And have fun going through it. Yeah, absolutely. One time specifically, I actually ended up going to this guy's house, probably 800 square foot house, and it was loaded with cards. He had uh, them as his nightstand, like the actual boxes of the cards as his nightstand. In the area in the kitchen where there's supposed to be a refrigerator, there were more boxes of baseball cards. You go out into his carport, what was underneath the tarp wasn't a car. It was baseball cards. So I ended up buying that and it took four or five trips in my minivan to get back to the house, but it was so fun. I just, I love that stuff. Okay. Is the thrill, uh, basically you're going to find buried treasure. There's going to be something in there that's surprisingly good, or is it a quantity thing? The quantity doesn't really excite me all that much, except it means there's more chances to find something interesting. If I get a 5,000 count box of 1988 donors, not too terribly exciting to me because you can pop the top and you can actually tell, obviously, what the cards are. <laughs> typically going to be. You want to see it mixed up like crazy when you dive in and say, oh, there's a 1976 tops in here. Oh, there's maybe a 1959 Fleer Ted Williams, 1991 Donruss. That's, that's the fun part. I think I've found that it's easier to sell cheap cards and expensive cards, but not in between. Yeah, yeah. It's a hard to sell the in-between cards, like a base card of a really good player, a low-level insert. There's a certain level to where they're not commons. They can't go in the the penny box, but they're not good enough to list on ComC or on eBay. Mm. And if you bulk those out so that you put some good stuff in there or you just advertise it and, and try to sell it at a wholesale price. 
Yeah, generally speaking, when it comes to the mid-level stuff, I'll, I'll put it in bulk and sell it that way. I, I don't like listing cards one at a time. There's a lot of dealer friends that take a lot of the cards that I get. So once I'm done having my fun with them, I you know typically move them on to them. <laughs> well, I'm a math guy, but how good are you at estimating the quantity? It's uh, A super monster box is supposed to be 5,000 count. An 800 count box is supposed to be 800. But with modern cards, no way. You penny sleeve them, no way. And to, to these double shoes, if you tie their top loaders in there, do you have some guidelines that you use? Because I've seen eBay ads where they talk about 800 box and you can see it's totally full, but there aren't more than 400 cards in there mm. based on the width of the, of, the, of the card. So do you do that math? Because I don't think you can expect the person to count it all. If it's a really big collection, I, I do try to do it by eye, taking into uh, consideration that, yeah, the shoe boxes are probably not going to be full probably sleeved. And so one example I had is somebody advertised that they had a million cards in the garage. So I went down there and I was pulling out some boxes. They had a thousand count boxes of 1990 Upper Deck Eric Anthony, a bunch of stuff like that. that's brutal. Like who's going to... So anyways, I, I look back, I, I take a step back and I start doing a little bit of counting. I go, I don't think there's more than 200,000 cards here. And so the guys explained to me, I said, these, have 5, 000, these are 5,000 count boxes. These are 3,200s, these are 1,600s, these are 2,700s, and none of these are really full completely. And even if they were full, it would only come up to be about a quarter of a million. So yeah, definitely some sort of you know mental calculation has to happen where if you go to uh, buy a big collection. A million cards, show me 200 super monster boxes that are totally full. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how you get to a million. And 200, that's filling up a garage. No, yeah. My garage has been filled like that before. I know what a million cards looks like, and that guy didn't have a million. <laughs> yeah. Even 100,000 cards is a lot. I bought a 100,000 card lot from Huggins and Scott a number of years ago. I have a large four-door sedan, and the trunk, the shotgun seat, the back seat, the floorboard, it was totally full. I'd go down to the freight depot and depalletize these monster boxes. And, and they weren't all monster box. Some of them were other things. And I'm just sticking them in there. And But it was fun going through them. And there was some level of organization. Just one plug for my sponsor, Huggins and Scott, because I did buy that from them. What I've learned from Bill Huggins and his team there is that they have an addition by subtraction. They have found, and not every auction house does this, is that they've advised the consigners that if you take out certain cards, you'll get more than if you leave them in. Mm. It's better to have 50,000 cards that you can describe as Hall of Famers or stars or rookies or something like that than 100,000 that includes 50,000 comments. Mm. And Very so interesting. But they have to be able to do it really fast. Yeah, it's a lot of work to go through it. It's a labor of love. For me personally, I could not do this if, if it were stamps. It just wouldn't be fine. But yeah, it's great to be able to go through these big collections. I actually did a deal a number of years ago with another former dealer for 6 million cards. That's a lot of cardboard. And it's still not even a deal that's been completed even after a decade. In fact, the last haul I did was 150,000 cards, which are in my garage now. They picked up from them about three or four weeks ago. So we still got ways to go. That's breathtaking. So what is your ideal lot for selling? You've you've got to have somebody local to get them. There's a guy that I used to pick up a lot of cards from him from our deal a number of years ago. This guy would come down from Kansas with a U-Haul and he would pick up basically all of my excess from my garage and drive on back. And his understanding was they were all commons and he was okay with it. He liked sorting them my team and everything. And he would come up, uh, I think he did that for three years running, if I remember correctly. It's funny where you find all these different collectors and hear about their different tastes. Okay. So if it was totally disorganized, is that better for you than if it was not well-organized? 
I love disorganization when it comes to collections. I think I do too, because I think you get a better price because there are less people that are interested. It's less competition that want to go through the cards. Okay. Having said that, have you ever enlisted some other collectors, either paying them in money or cards or just with the fun of it to come over and have a sorting party? Because I have done that. I don't really know too terribly many collectors around here locally, to be honest with you. So if I did, it would probably be a YouTube thing and I'm the only one actually handling the cards. <laughs> That's fun for them to watch you. But now I'm talking about guys coming along and sitting around at big table and, and kibitzing as you're doing it. I did that a couple of weeks ago with, with Brad and Rich. And I've, I've done it before. It's fun. It can't be mindless, silent, head down. There's got to be some fun to it. But for some people, it's getting to see cards they wouldn't otherwise see. I love it. I just don't really know anybody locally, unfortunately. So, uh, but if you're ever in you know the Houston area, you're welcome to come down. Uh, we can uh, put a fan out in the garage and go through some of them. <laughs> you bet. Well, that's. Uh, I, I guess I could make the same offer if you're up here. I, I think I'm never going to run out of cards to sort, Tanner. And it sounds like you won't either. It's pretty amazing. My wife says, are you ever going to run out of episodes? Not only am I not going to run out of episodes or topics to talk about, I'm not going to run out of cards anytime soon either. Uh, <laughs> Even though I'm trying to reduce my cards by 1% uh, a month, which I'm failing at that, but I am selling off some cards. So you would not buy a Jose Canseco lot at any price if you thought you didn't need any of the cards. The reseller side of me would kick in. I've actually bought out two super collectors in this past year of Canseco. But what I did was I've probably kept 10, 20, 30 cards from each collection. And I sold the rest of them. But if it's like 91 tops or $90, unless I see I can make money off of them, then not really, because I don't really care much about doubles myself. So these super collectors that you took out and you pulled out your 20 or 30, then you had a built-in kind of understanding of how you could price it, what was left. There was still good stuff in there. What platform did you use? Yeah. So mainly I know these other Conseco super collectors. I was able to do a lot of private deals. The power... Or the most exciting was not making the money, is being able to have a tremendous trade bait and go to these other guys and, and get cards that would never in a million years sell me these cards or say, hey, will you trade for this and this? And so there are some cards that it might be a nice patch that I really liked. And I go, hey, I've got these three one of ones. And will you take these three one of ones and trade these for that patch card? And they go, Tanner's nuts. He's offering three one of ones, but I wouldn't have otherwise. So that's where the main fun was for me. So you don't have any kind of a sunk cost theory on that, or do you? You just say, I already have these. They're already amortized or I've already paid for them based on this other big deal. And so what I have in them is not as important as being able to cash them in for something that I really want. It really depends. There's a lot of thoughts in my head as well as my heart. It's very difficult to be analytical, especially when it comes to Conseco stuff. But I do feel that the almighty one of one is not nearly as important nowadays as you know they once were, just because there are hundreds of them being made almost a month. When it comes to the new Tops or Panini one of one, I might not place nearly as much uh, value on those as I would say a you know 2000 Upper Deck game patch or something that's really nice. Yeah. When I was at the show recently, up here there were just lots of activity but so many people were checking the comps and i'm I'm realizing that when you buy a collection you just can't the 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 transaction is not going to be on hold at a show at least while you research the comps on a monster box of cards you just can't it's not comparable you might if there's a run of a certain kind of insert or certain kind of card you could you need to have an idea. And I feel that's my edge. It might be your edge after having experience of seeing what cards are selling for 
to know what you can pay. And it's still a good deal for the seller, but it's a good deal for you as the buyer. I think it, it gives you a tremendous edge if you can actually do it in your head and get a good idea. I, I used to go to card shows and buy out tables. Yeah. And there was a lot of anxiety that I was running because you're looking at this dealer that has, say, 20 boxes of monster cards where there's 25 cents or a dollar per card. And you're trying to go really fast in your head. It definitely is very helpful to be able to do this stuff in your head. But that comes with putting time into the hobby and seeing what things buy. It's not just time in the hobby. It's time doing that. It's an academic exercise. It's very different. As you said, there's a visceral thing when you're looking at the box. And you're doing the math and the math gets to be pretty big if you're looking at retail values, potential retail values. But what mm. cars sell for is, you know, especially in bulk, is going to be a fraction of what yeah. you might be able to sell them for if you could sell them card by card. And then, of course, when they're just in a monster box, even if they're sleeved, they're, they're dinged a little bit. They're probably not gradable in many cases. So what's your so you use eBay, you use ComC, and what else are you doing? Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. So I used to do Craigslist, but yeah, Facebook Marketplace, Facebook Groups has been tremendous. I'll use my YouTube channel to showcase some things as well. Oh, also forums that have been really good to post on. The more eyeballs you can get on your listing, the easier and quicker they'll probably sell. And you, you're pricing to sell because I think people don't like it if you put a too high a price on something. Yeah. So there's psychology that goes into it where if you have something at a certain price that's really high, you can anger some people. But for me personally, it depends on the card. If it's bulk, a lot of times I'll price it to sell. But if there's some like really special cards, I'll try to put it slightly higher than I'm hoping to get. So that way I can field a few offers and, and everything because everybody wants to haggle and everything. And I understand that. But yeah, I don't want to say, oh, hey, look at this special one of one card. It's going to be $100,000 or whatever, you know, because people will just laugh and then you lose a sale. Yeah. So what percentage of the hobby you think thinks like this? I think it's 5%. At most, the people that want to buy a collection. In the old days, it was a lot higher. I think it's a small percentage of people that are interested in buying the whole box. They'd rather just buy the ones they want. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a very tiny percentage because some people see this as work, whereas somebody like you and me it's might say, hobby. this is <laughs> a hobby. This is, you know, yeah, absolutely. Like, I love it. Thanks, Tanner. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. That was fun. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man in the house of cards.